0: Welcome to NVC Life. I'm Rochelle Lamb, veteran NVC trainer and relationship coach, helping listeners navigate interpersonal conflict and ground more deeply into relational living. Greetings, fellow humans. In his workshops, Marshall Rosenberg would speak about how guilt, anger, shame, and depression are the four friends that let us know that we're not connected to our needs. I'm not going to try to break this down or elaborate on how this might be so. I thought I'd riff on it instead because a lot comes to mind as I reflect on the statement. For instance, is there such a thing as good shame and good guilt? I would personally say yes, there is. Properly understood, they signal to us that we are at risk of losing connection with others as well as with ourselves, that we have somehow fallen out of right relationship with the world. Now, you might argue and say, hey, wait a minute, surely we can rely on others to provide feedback, right? And certainly, yes, that's true. But how open is the average person to receiving feedback from others that what they're doing? isn't meeting needs or in service to life. You know, I think that in order to develop the capacity to graciously be on the receiving end of negative feedback from others, one would need to have a superpower or have grown up in an environment where mistakes weren't viewed as offensive or unwelcome or as an indication of something being inherently wrong with a person. I recall Marshall's demonstration of a jackal parent teaching a child one of the most important things to learn to say in a jackal world. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. No, you're not sorry. Say it like you really mean it. And the child starts to cry. I'm sorry. So for our purposes, let's imagine that this child pushed his younger brother to the floor and that the younger child ran crying to the parent. Being humiliated into an apology, it's unlikely that this older child is now upset because they genuinely regret the altercation with the brother. They're more likely to be crying because they're utterly confused about what's happening to them in the moment. If the child was able to articulate his or her eternal world, it might sound something like this. What a strange place I live in. I'm trying so hard to figure it all out the strange rules and inconsistency, how I'm supposed to behave in different moments and how I'm supposed to behave when things are unfair and unjust to me. I asked my brother nicely to stop calling me names, to stop calling me a baby. He just kept saying it and I couldn't take it anymore. And so I hit him. I didn't hit him hard. I just wanted him to stop. And now I'm in trouble because he gets away with being mean to me just because he's younger and no one sees what he's doing. Then, my parents come down hard on me, and I start to feel like what Marshall describes as a P-P-P-P-P-T, a pretty poor protoplasm, poorly put together. I don't understand this place, and I don't understand these people. Now I'm supposed to apologize for something my brother started. If no one helps me with this, if no one considers what I'm going through, and if no one empathizes with my feelings and frustrations, I will be making some decisions about how things work around here and how to survive. They won't be conscious decisions, though. They'll be reactive, unexamined habits based on protecting myself. And this is what the majority of us do in our fast and crazy corner of the world. We make decisions very early in our lives, so early that we rarely, if ever, have any memory of having made them at all. And all those small and big decisions eventually add up to who we are, even though that's not who we are. In especially challenging and frightening situations, our options are very limited as children. I can think of myself as a horrible person who just doesn't get it, someone who's too stupid to learn how things work, or I'll think everyone else is horrible and they just don't get it. I may withdraw inside myself to feel safe, or I might fight back. I might try to figure out a way to get back at my brother and also get back at my parents. The sad part is, I won't even be aware that this is what I'm doing. I won't be aware that I'm developing tragic ways of managing my distress and equally tragic ways of relating with people, especially when I'm experiencing conflict. I'm just trying to manage myself in a world that doesn't make any sense to me. What a sorry state of affairs. So let's go back to the shame and guilt that I opened with. The kind of shame that metastasizes when we've had no one to help us learn how to effectively navigate interpersonal challenges, and we essentially only have recourse to our early memories. The fragments we consciously remember, and the ones that we have no conscious memory of, That are nonetheless operating inside us. Memories that echo how we managed ourselves back then when we were only six years old, colored by how others described and evaluated us in those moments, which only made us feel worse. All happening at a time when we were young and so impressionable. That kind of shame reaches down into our very core. Those deeply unpleasant feelings become fused with our sense of self. I guess I don't deserve to be here. I guess I'm inherently flawed. I guess there's something inherently wrong with me. When that becomes the narrative, a person has to figure out a way to be in the world and to manage themselves and their relationships. They have to figure out a way to navigate interpersonal challenges that won't aggravate their early childhood wounds. They have to preserve the sense of identity they have forged over their developmental years and early adulthood in order to establish some measure of safety and sanity. And while those strategies and coping mechanisms may have been effective over the short term, they typically have disastrous effects over the long term. Because our repertoire of strategies isn't developed during a stage of maturity, it's developed when we are very young and we don't have the intellectual or emotional bandwidth to know what we are doing and how it will ultimately impact our lives. And so imagine the sense of shock and disillusionment when an intimate relationship forces us to confront aspects of ourselves that are deeply wounded and well shielded by thick scar tissue. What to do? The early stages of loving intimate relationships are typically identifiable by an incredibly vibrant rush of wonderfully intoxicating feelings, Mm. a feeling unreservedly loved and accepted by another, a feeling so very cherished and special, a feeling good about oneself and one's life, positive feelings generated by someone who is perceived by us to be so very different from all the previous others who have made us feel like crap. In his book, A New Earth, author-teacher Eckhart Tolle writes, the normal state of mind of most human beings contains a strong element of what we would call dysfunction or even madness. And if you've ever read or listened to Tolle, You'll likely be familiar with his term pain body, which he uses to describe a pattern of negativity that takes on a life of its own and seeks reinforcement through perpetuating those negative patterns. Sometimes the pain body lives dormant for a while, but when it becomes activated, watch out. In one of Toll's talks before a live audience, he says, In particular situations, you may lose awareness and regress to total identification with some reactive pattern, and it could be the pain body. A usually problematic area for many or most people is relationships of whatever kind and on whatever level. It's where many people seek their happiness, and it's where many people find their unhappiness. He then says something so perfect and humorous. He says, it seems that human beings are just terribly difficult, except one, the one who's listening to these words. The audience then has a good chuckle, and Toll goes on to describe an important level of self-knowledge, where a person becomes aware of their mental, emotional, and reactive patterns. Because, When you're completely identified with your patterns, there is no room to develop awareness of those patterns. There's no space, no room. You think your patterns are who you are. If you're not sincerely committed to developing awareness when others are either kindly or unkindly bringing attention to your patterns, you're likely to become defensive and re-engage in your pattern without any awareness of what you're doing, and thereby reinforcing it. And so, if you sincerely wish to replace unhealthy patterns of relating with healthy engagement, it's impossible to accomplish unless you examine your patterns. Really examine them. Not look for the nearest exit whenever you interpret something as threatening, but rather slow down, regulate your breathing and your nervous system. Become aware of your body sensations. Keep breathing. Keep slowing down. Take a step back and observe yourself. What am I afraid of? What am I trying to protect? What is familiar to me about this exchange? What early memories are stirred? What really matters to me? What do I ultimately want? Slow down and take your time. These answers don't get answered immediately or once and for all. This kind of inquiry is ongoing and it requires vigilance because habits, especially deeply ingrained ones, don't go quickly or easily. Gaining insight is an important first step, but then committing to the work is where the rubber hits the road. Knowing that your health is compromised by your smoking habit is one thing. Quitting smoking is another thing entirely. So think of what I've just said in the context of the child who was forced to apologize to his younger brother and leaving him to reconcile his own sense of injustice of how he's treated with who he actually is. The child is making micro decisions that will eventually, over time, determine the lens of how he views himself how he views others, and how he views the world. He will have made decisions about whether or not people are trustworthy, whether or not the world is inherently a good place, or instead a place where one must constantly be on guard for the next attack. So Marshall's statement, guilt, anger, shame, and depression, these are the four friends that let us know that we're not connected to our needs. One of the problems I perceive in speaking of these states in this way is that it suggests that if you identify your needs, you can then mobilize to satisfy the needs and then the feelings will resolve and you'll be back in the land of positive feelings. I'm drawing attention to this because I don't hold the belief that all unpleasant feelings are the result of needs not being met. Nor am I suggesting that Marshall held that belief. I'm saying, though, that someone new to NVC could easily reach that conclusion by simply reading the words. And this is especially true in a world where the impulse to get on the other side of so-called negative feelings is so regularly encouraged and reinforced. I'm encouraging us instead to resist the impulse, to resolve the feelings, and instead to sit with them and reflect on what has transpired. One thing that can alert us to our own negative patterns is if our reaction is well beyond how we might witness others reacting to a similar situation. For instance, you lock yourself into your room for several hours and completely trash it when you receive a text message from a close friend saying something has come up and they need to cancel dinner plans with you you can know in that moment that there's something occurring inside you that has very little to do with the text message and more to do with a powerful, unhealthy narrative. Sure, we could identify the needs as being needs for love and connection. But it's not that the person's need for love and connection aren't being satisfied when dinner plans are canceled. Rather, it's the distorted view of those needs and how the person expects those needs to be met. So instead of saying that guilt, anger, shame, and depression are the four friends that let us know that we're not connected to our needs, I might instead say that on the occasions when guilt, anger, shame, or depression arise, they may be signaling to me that I've come into contact with a wound or my pain body, as Eckhart Tolle might say, the part of me that is over-identified with negative patterns and is programmed to maintain an alienating narrative of myself, others, and the world. The invitation then becomes to stretch in the direction of becoming more aware of my unhealthy patterns. Productive guilt and shame signal to us that we have spoken or behaved in a way that, while it has presumably violated needs— It also didn't meet our own needs. With that awareness, we can take stock of what we were valuing in the moment that we spoke or acted as we did and consider how, in a similar future circumstance, we could respond differently and in ways that take a greater number of needs into account. Like what kinds of needs? A few possibilities, respect, safety. Consideration, care, trust, equality, reassurance that we matter, those kinds of things. Marshall used to say, I've never done anything wrong and I never will. I've only done things in the past that I would not have done had I known then what I've since learned. This is not to be mistaken to mean that everything a person has ever done is acceptable or justifiable. It's not. But everything a person says or does is understandable, if we're willing to inquire into it and bear compassionate witness. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote, If we could read the secret history of our enemies, we should find in each man's life sorrow and suffering enough to disarm all hostility. So where does this leave us? Hopefully with more questions than answers and also hopefully with a deeper appreciation regard for the work of being human it's hard work we are complex beings and we are living in a messy world a world made messy not only by our own choices and actions but also made messy by living in the wake of the multitude of unexamined choices and decisions actions made by those before us, people who are also trying to survive and make sense of their lives. So go easy on yourselves, my friends. Go easy on yourselves and on your loved ones. And also go easy on those you don't agree with and, dare I say, your enemies. I hope you can make room for a sacred space inside yourself that is an enemy-free zone and where all you see in that space is people suffering and trying their damnedest to live well, even as they often don't know how to do so. Thank you for tuning in to NBC Life. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube. For free resources or to book a private session with me, head over to RochelleLam.com. Until the next time, stay sane, grateful, and generous.